and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. I'm your host, Catherine King, and it's a pleasure to have you join us today. In this series, we'll be speaking to senior data analytics leaders to share their experiences, challenges, and insights. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Business of Data podcast. This week we're talking all about data ops and future thinking. And joining me today is Harvinder Atwal, who is the Group Data Director for Money Supermarket Group. Now, just a bit about Harvinder before we dive into our discussion. As I say, he's the group's uh, data director and he leads a team of 75 data professionals and is responsible for creating value from data to deliver the group's strategy across all its brands. Before joining Money Supermarket, Harvinder held data and analytics roles at British Airways, Lloyds and Dune Humby. And also, Harvinder is also an author and uh, recently published the Practical Data Ops Delivering Agile Data Science at Scale book uh, in, in the end of 2019. Harvinder, welcome. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good to be here. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. As, as we do with every episode on the BOD pod, I always start with a bit of a nosy question. And uh, my question for you is all about this book. What inspired you to author a book about data ops? So um, I, I guess um, I've been a data analytics professional for, for a very long time. Um, my entire career, I've been working with data and algorithms. So there's been a lot of change um, over the last 25 years in terms of you know, the amount of data you have access to, the technologies that you use. Um, and one of the things that probably hasn't kept up is being able to create value from data. So we have this massive explosion in, you know, big data, data science, AI, and so on. But actually, when you dig beneath the surface and you look at the, the value that's being created, um, it's nowhere near at the level that you would kind of expect to see. So, yeah. you know, there are various surveys out there. New Vantage Partners do one um, every year, and they find that only 7.3% of organizations say their data and analytics is excellent. So there's, there's actually kind of almost like a fundamental problem um, in this space. Now, there shouldn't be because data has um, the ability to make radical transformations in mm -hmm. people's lives, right? So improving healthcare, reducing fraud and crime, um, helping customers save time and money. There's no end of applications. Um, so I kind of got thinking, oh, why is this the case, right? So why if there's so much interest in data, we have so much data, we have this technology, why are we not creating value for it? Yeah. Um, so hence, that was kind of the, the driver for, for writing the book, because we had kind of gone down a bit of a journey in money supermarket where, you know, we had pivoted away from being a sort of traditional sort of insight-led um, organization uh, mm -hmm. to wanting to do things differently, sorry, of technology led organization or we have a very large technology function we realized there was quite a lot we could borrow um, from our colleagues in technology and apply to data uh, we didn't realize it at the time but that was data ops um, so i kind of wanted to share some of that journey some of that thinking with um, the, the uh, wide community out there um, and help them kind of understand how they could overcome some of these challenges of creating value from data so that that was the driver. Um, you know, I'm quite passionate about data. The last thing I want to see is data science um, have a an AI winter moment where there's so yeah. much hype and then people are disappointed and then there's uh, a lack of investment because I think generally data has so much to contribute to human welfare. 
Absolutely. And I mean, you, you've touched on it there just in that in that bit of an intro about the fact that data ops perhaps isn't um, not necessarily widely understood. I think that's unfair, but it's perhaps not uh, top of everyone's to do list. So let's set the scene. Um, what does data ops mean to you in, in kind of a, a definition term, I suppose? Yeah, so I um, I share a definition with Data Kitchen. So Data Kitchen are kind of like one of the the mm -hmm. space, and they're massive advocates for for data ops. Um, and for us, data ops is a combination of data analytics, so in its broadest sense of including um, data science and, and AI, um, combined with uh, lean thinking. So lean thinking, um, there's, there's kind of like two flavors. One is the original lean thinking, which comes from Toyota's manufacturing system. So yeah. um, Toyota described that as a system for the absolute based. Um, so it's really about looking at your processes and seeing how you can make them more efficient and drive up quality. Um, the other is, uh, the other two um, methodologies or um, areas where DataOps borrows from are from software development, so agile. So the ability to be adaptable to change, uh, making sure that you're continually satisfying the customer. Mm -hmm. um, and then the final one is DevOps. So uh, DevOps, for people who aren't familiar with it, arose because of this conflict between uh, developers on one side who wanted to make a lot of changes, add lots of features, develop new products, um, and operations people um, on the other side who had to make sure that these data products ran in production reliably. Now, the challenge was that um, you get to a place where um, the operations people are maintaining a really brittle product in production because there have been so many changes over the years and months that any sort of small change can have unintended consequences and break things. So DevOps was there to make sure that these things didn't happen, that you can make rapid, small, iterative changes in your um, software products without breaking things. Fantastic. Now, I kind of, I, I kind of uh, signposted towards it when I when I asked the question. But do you think that's what everyone means when they talk about data ops? Because there does seem to be a bit of a, a disparity yeah. in how people describe it. You know, I, I, absolutely. So um, I guess, like a lot of terms in the data space, it's it's not necessarily well defined. Uh, mm. I mean, there are a dozen definitions of data science, for example, but. Um, really there are kind of there, there's one other sort of competing uh version of uh data ops or definition if you like uh which is devops for for data so that's applying devops principles to data pipelines i think that's just too narrow a definition um i mean your data pipeline is not your end product with uh data ops in its more wider sense what you're thinking about is your outcomes and your impacts and then working back from that to make sure that you have all the the people process and technology and data to deliver that um there's there's one final way of defining data ops which is more vendor led which is uh, a vendor will say i've got this product let's badge it as data ops and data ops is whatever my product does but i don't think that's helpful fantastic so um i i know you kind of uh started out this this just just in your answer there but the general maturity of data ops is somewhat you know limited in compared to other areas are there any particular companies that you think are doing it really well or perhaps even industries um i guess some of the more mature um more mature sort of silicon valley firms um are deploying a lot of the day practices whether they call it day or something else um but i think we're probably 
maybe like five years behind Tenology um, mm -hmm. in terms of their adoption of DevOps. So um, definitely a, a niche but growing area, uh, but I expect um, a lot of the practices of DataOps to be adopted quite rapidly over the next few years, particularly with um, you know, the migration to the cloud um, and companies needing to be more agile. Um, and go through digital transformation. So um, yeah, it, it, it's small, um, but I expect it to grow quite rapidly over the next few years. Brilliant. Now, my last question for you in terms of setting the scene for, for our discussion is, um, I watched your presentation in the DNA Live um, conference that we recently had. It was fantastic. Now, you, you said that the organizations need to change their mindsets as well as business processes. And that means thinking of data as a product, which I thought was really, really interesting. So product rather than project is kind of what you were, what you were saying yeah. there. But how should data leaders promote this kind of thinking organization-wide? How does that actually happen? Yeah, so um, the, the best way of making it happen is really to work with uh, stakeholders and understand outcomes. So traditionally, uh, the way people have approached using data is I uh, think about actionable insights. So what can we find in the data that will produce some insight and create a recommendation for, you know, stakeholders in the organization to do something differently, you know, so it might be do A rather than B. Mm -hmm. um, but actually we're, we're now well beyond that um, in terms of capability. Um, so both with the amount of data and the technology we have to thinking of creating data products that drive an outcome. So now, give you a really simplistic example. You know, we used to have conversations with our marketing department a few years ago around how we would use data to help improve marketing campaigns. And they might come up with, you know, oh, we know a customer's date's birth, so let's send them a happy birthday email, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, you know, you need to work with your stakeholders and say, right, but what outcome are you actually trying to drive? Yeah, your outcome is not to say happy birthday to the customer, it's actually to get them back to our website and to, uh, you know, click out on a product and hopefully save money, which is, um, our mission. So if that's the outcome, then it's, well, what data product can we build that helps deliver that outcome? Um, so in this case, it might be a recommendation model. Um, and therefore, what data do we need uh, in order to create that recommendation model? So it's, a, it's about flipping everything on its head and saying, well, we're not going to start with the, the data and try and find some magic nugget of insight. Yeah. Um, we'll take the outcome and then we'll say, well, what kind of data product can we build um, to, that will deliver that outcome? Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the that's a way to, to kind of approach it internally within the organization. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I love the idea of breaking it down and, and kind of almost going to the end in order to start at the, at the beginning. So let's yeah. have a chat about overcoming the barriers to adoption. We, we've spoken about it for the last, you know, five, five minutes or so that, you know, it's, it's struggling to kind of get off the ground in, in every, every business and organization. And I think 2020 is really the year of making sure value is communicated, whether we're talking about the pandemic or the recession, companies are being hit hard right now. So why do you think many organizations are yet to adopt this agile way of thinking and doing? What are the kind of key barriers that you can identify for us? So, I mean, there, there are a number, uh, number of them. So um, one is, um, might be, just be old fashioned thinking around um, access to technology and tools. Mm -hmm. So if you um, imagine a few years ago, um, 
And a lot of companies would have locked down access to data because it sat in operational um, systems, um, so systems of engagement. Um, and therefore, actually, it was kind of dangerous to allow people to have access to that because, you know, um, one, they might break things, but also, they, you know, there might be personal data in there and, and, and so on. So things were quite heavily controlled. Um, that's no longer the case. You know, there, there are ways of allowing people access to data um, without the risk of breaking things or without the risk of seeing personal data. So there's that kind of legacy mindset of control mm -hmm. um, that still exists in some organizations. Um, the other is just uh, lack of knowledge of best practice as well. So in a lot of organizations, you may have sort of uh, data people brought on who are relatively junior, who, um, you know, data science or coding, it just means to an end. Um, mm -hmm. They don't really understand the, the wider best practice around software development uh, mm -hmm. that needs to be applied to, to data and so on. Um, and the other is just, you know, there, there are some organizational barriers when it comes to data and data centric thinking. So, for example, you know, I say to people, you would never have um, your front end developers report into a different part of the organization from, you know, your uh, back end server side developers and then have your data architects report into commercial and your DBAs report into marketing. Um, that would never happen. You'd have one integrated uh, technology function in the organization where everyone sat together. But for some reason, people think it's um, perfectly acceptable for data scientists to sit in a different part of the organization from the mm -hmm. data engineers, from the architects and so on. Um, so, you know, a lot of organizations haven't got around to thinking of being, you know, data lifecycle centric to say, well, no, actually, yeah. the data only takes one journey right so it makes sense for one function to own that end-to-end -end, mm -hmm. uh, which can be a significant barrier absolutely brilliant and i think um it's fair i think it's fair to say from what you've just explained there that a lot of thinking has to go into this it's not going to be something that just happens or one person leads it and therefore it kind of you know i'm just i'm thinking of say um data literacy if you have one executive who's really key at driving that eventually data literacy will become kind of on the to-do list whereas with data ops it seems that because it's so multifaceted in the barriers that exist actually it's going to take an organization to say right this is a priority now and then kind of move move through those barriers um, but I think I, what I want to have a chat with you about now, Harvinder, is that it can be done. And I've, I've had the privilege yeah. of talking to lots of different executives on these uh, BogPod episodes. And something I've heard due to uh, COVID is what was taking me three years has now taken me three months and kind of a condensed in time. Yeah. Now, what your team was able to do was replace processes which used to take, I think it was 11 hours, wasn't it? And it now just takes mm -hmm. five minutes. So can you please just run through, use that as a kind of a user case for, for that type of thinking and the way that you managed to achieve that? Yeah, so I'm referring to some of the sort of marketing um, ML yeah. models that, that we have that drive um, some of our marketing. So previously we used to have um, quite uh, long sort of data cycles um, and development cycles around our models. So we kind of looked at that end to end and kind of like you know where are the bottlenecks um 
good thing is we were kind of replatforming at the time. So we were moving to Google Cloud Platform, which kind of made things easier in terms of us being able to look at everything afresh and say, right, okay, how do, how do we approach this um, in a completely different way, which allows us to want uh, be able to develop um, models much more quickly um, and also reduce sort of latency um, in our model scoring. So. One of the things that we did was, you know, we broke up um, the entire sort of uh, model scoring pipeline into lots of different steps and the model training pipeline into lots of different steps. Um, and then introduce automation and reproducibility in there. Um, and then what reproducibility allows you to do is uh, to be able to test things in a um, development um, environment. Um, and then if you pass or test, then you know, you deploy that in your production environment and that uh, can lead to a, quite a high level of automation. Um, so that's one massive benefit. Um, you can also work on different parts of uh, the pipeline in parallel. Um, so, you know, rather than working on one giant code base, um, you're essentially splitting it up and able to make changes in just one place um, without having to affect others. Um, it allowed us to parallelize our work as well. Um, so each of those jobs can be run in its own container and you can run that on Kubernetes in parallel. Um, so there, there are a lot of changes we kind of made simultaneously um, yeah. or rather, you know, in a short period of time to uh, be able to kind of create those efficiencies and actually create a far more robust process. Fantastic. And then, so thinking in, in that same way and, and harking back to your, your presentation that you did, one thing that was really interesting to me was that you said that the days of having one huge data and analytics solution are gone and that companies yeah. really should have multiple technologies. Um, how do you then manage and coordinate and this to define efficient workflows for your team members? So kind of thinking of, kind of chopping up the, the processes, how, how do you manage that? Yeah, so we um, we make sure that whatever new tool we're going to actually deploy fits within our ecosystem. So it's not just a case of going with something that, you know, may, may actually be really good, but actually it's not, it's not going to fit with our sort of end-to-end mm -hmm. -end, um, processes for developing a data pipeline or maintaining a data pipeline. So, um, so it's not it's not necessarily a technology zoo, if you like. So it is a kind of like control process. So one of the things that we kind of start with is uh, we have like a technology radar, which is something we borrowed from ThoughtWorks, whereby um, we kind of evaluate all the technology out there. We kind of only needs to be sort of six months or so. Yeah. Point where we say, you know, are there any sort of new technologies that um, we should be looking at? doing concert spiking, maybe chatting to vendors or um, peers out there around what they think of it. Um, equally important is to say, well, yeah, there, there may be some technology, maybe some hype around it, but actually it's not good fit. So we need to just like part that and exclude it. Mm. Um, then, you know, when we are evaluating a new piece of technology, then really it is a case of, you know, testing it out first. So, you know, doing technology spikes, doing a proof of value, a proof of concept. Um, before we actually um, adopt it. But that interoperability is, is still really important. So, you know, with all the technology out there, it's important that it actually does fit together um, as well as being um, functionally valuable in its own right. Fantastic. Now, I, Which I is a challenge it. because, 
Oh, sorry, I was going to jump in and ask for a piece of advice, really, because I was hosting one of our virtual roundtables recently, and this this topic came up about, you know, constantly looking for, for new solutions and technologies to kind of all fit together, as opposed to having one mass solution. And one of the members, one of the executives in that um, event raised the issue of feeling nervous that as soon as you say, right, this is the one for me, six months down the line, there's going to be something better that can do what you want it to do better. And now you're stuck with with this particular uh, solution for, for however long. So how do you do that analysis where you, you've, you've chosen your solution, you've run the test and you think, yep, this is going to work. How do you then deal with that fear that actually in six months time, there could be something better out there? Um, well, it's really simple. You just have to accept that, right? So the <laughs> technology is changing and it's about what well, at this point of time, what is the, the, the best piece of technology? Um, so yeah, you do have to take into account things like exit costs. So, um, you know, you don't want to be necessarily wedded to a technology that is difficult to extract from. Mm -hmm. Um, but then it comes into this sort of, um, build versus buy, um, do you buy a proprietary solution or, um, you know, these days there's a lot of managed open source, which, um, is kind of like our kind of preference, um, if you like. Um, so there, there's all these trade-offs you have to make. There's no sort of perfect technology out there. Um, and it kind of very much depends on your use case, um, and your organization's appetite to change and risk as well. Um, but then sometimes you just have to, um, you know, live with the technology you have, right? So, you know, we have components in our stack where we're like, well, actually there, there are better things, but the cost of change is so high relative yeah. to the benefit it brings. You're just like, well, you, you might as well just stick with what you have. Um, you know, particularly when it comes to things like, you know, databases and ETL tools, you know, it can be very significant change to migrate to something else, but you know, what, what's the actual benefit? You're still using the same data. Yeah. Fantastic. And I suppose that that links nicely into that value discussion as well. It is a case of weighing up the value and then the, the cost that it's going to inevitably bring as well. Mm -hmm. So moving our conversation forward. Now, you, you mentioned um, culture being a big impact. Now, for you personally, you've gone through um, a bit of a transformation recently. You were recently reporting to the CEO. Now you're reporting to the chief customer officer. This could change again. How how have you personally managed the buy-in from executives especially when your direct reporting has changed along the way and um you know how would you how would you give advice in terms of securing buy-in from an executive team to adopt data op principles yeah so the the first thing is that you know we are very much aligned on objectives with our stakeholders so um you know, we um, have OKRs as an organization, so objectives mm -hmm. and key results that we're trying to deliver to. So the, the, the first thing is to be really aligned on those objectives with your stakeholders so that, you know, your, what, you're, what you're proposing um, and what you're recommendation, recommending is actually going to help them uh, mutual relationship. So, you know, you're helping deliver their roadmap while at the same time using data to inform it. So um, that's the first part. Um, so we, you know, try and build up quite strong uh, stakeholder relationships um, where we try to drive for the same results. Um, in terms of uh, kind of getting adoption for day trolls, I mean, we, we didn't really need permission for day trolls. All we needed from um, senior um, execs was um, firstly a recognition that the entire data lifecycle should be managed by one function. So, you know, 
rewind a few years, um, data engineering and, you know, some of the, the data platforms were owned mm -hmm. by the technology function, the product analytics were, you know, sat within product and commercial. So um, that, that was one major change uh, was bringing everyone together um, who worked on data lifecycle within one function, um, which had, you know, quite significant benefits. The other was a recognition that actually we needed to own and maintain our own data analytics platform. So, you know, historically we had been dependent on what the technology function gave us to work with, but now we have our own um, entire cloud platform, if you like, Google Cloud Platform with analytics, which is managed by data um, separately from most of our technology uh, platform and AWS. So is getting the buy-in on those two things, which was um, actually the, the, the biggest enablers really of this journey. Fantastic. And you, you say that maintaining that kind of really strong connection and, and communication was key for you. And instantly what I want to ask you is how was that during the COVID era? And I mean, kind of looking back when we were in lockdown and things were, you know, you were, you were out of the office. Now things are kind of easing up and we're in that very strange zone. So how has communication um, been maintained? Has there been any disconnect? Um, how have you managed that? So remote working has actually gone really well. We kind of being a digital first company, we are, you know, pretty much set up from day one. I mean, I think there were very few um, sort of snags um, from, you know, the company going 100% remote working. Um, so, you know, not much friction um, in terms of our abilities to do our job. Um, everyone is still able to function. Um, you know, we obviously substitute face-to-face -face meetings with, you know, VC like most organizations. Um, things have maybe become a little bit more transactional um, due to the fact that we're remote working, um, fewer sort of water cooler moments, um, creative tasks are probably a, a lot harder. Um, so, you know, I miss physical offsites. Um, it's mm. much harder to do that over, over VC. Um, but apart from that, you know, surprisingly well, um, we'll be drifting back into the office slowly. So, you know, it's all voluntary, but, you know, right. I expect more people to be, um, you know, in the office starting with one day a week. Fantastic. Now, my kind of final question around the, the culture of, of this topic is you've clearly done a lot to establish uh, where, where you are today. So what are the main things you look for when you're hiring talent to fit this data driven culture that you have curated? Yeah, so we um, we have a set of values um, within data. So they're collaboration, continuous improvement, and cross-functional working. So they are the kind of values we're expecting people to display. So collaboration, um, not just within data, um, but also we think we sit between data producers. Um, so we're very reliant on our technology department for the the data that gets captured that we use, and data consumers at the other end. So they're our commercial marketing and finance and all the other areas of the organization. So collaboration with those areas as well. Um, Cross-functional working um, is also really important. Um, so being able to work with um, teams who have different skills from yourself, who have different stakeholders. Um, and then the continuous improvement mindset is really important that, that you know, we're looking for people who aren't just satisfied with you know, how things work. They're actually looking 
at the way they work and looking to see how they can make improvements through that. So yeah. they're the kind of things that, that kind of look for um, in people on top of, you know, the, the technical skills that they have. So you're not just looking for agile workers, but agile people as well, constantly analyzing how they're, uh, how they're working. That's fantastic. So yeah. my last few questions for you, Harvinda, is what's up next? What is coming up for you guys in the next say 12 months are there any innovation projects that you're uh, excited to to be getting underway with yeah we're actually going through our sort of uh, strategy planning process for next year and there's um uh, so so the thing is you're, you're never done right so you know the difference between a, a product and a project is that a project has a defined end date right a product doesn't um you're constantly looking to improve it and it's the same with you know the way that we function where we're constantly trying to improve what we do so you know there's lots of areas we've identified where we want to do better so everything from you know like test data management delivering more automation in our processes um uh, and so on so there's there's quite a quite a long list um you know we improve self-service analytics for the the rest of the organization and so on so just a few examples of quite a long list um that we're we're looking at and obviously we have to go through prioritization because yeah. you know <laughs> there's never never enough time never enough people so it's um, what you don't do is as important as what you do, to be honest. Absolutely. And I, I love the uh, ambitious uh, nature mm -hmm. of it as well. So then my, my last question for you, because I can see the, the clock has been ticking away here, is if there's one key message you really want our audience to take away from this conversation when it comes to data ops and future thinking, what would that message be? Yeah, so for, for me, the, um, the creation of data products is, is key. So moving from, you know, the, the order of using data to drive insight to, if you think about where the value is created for, you know, leading organizations, you know, think Google, you know, most of their revenue, 9% um, plus is really the ultimately derives from one single data product, which is their search engine algorithm. Think of Amazon, uh, you know, they generate a lot of value from you know the algorithms around recommendation the algorithms around pricing and what products to, to actually stock so um for me it's about data product um outcome and impact driven um and if you want to start on the data ops journey it's about you know finding a thin slice of one of those problems to, to try and solve and applying some of the, the best practice um around you know, applying DevOps, being agile, um, there's a lot of texting data, so building in that automation and monitoring into your data pipelines, um, driving success from the iteration of that, and then trying to expand that into other areas once you demonstrate that you can create value and have sort of re reproducible, repeatable processes. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for giving me half an hour of your time today. It's been wonderful chatting with you. You're and, uh, and I hope to catch up with you very soon. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, hope the audience finds it helpful. What a brilliant discussion. I really enjoyed that one. And I think the main thing I'm going to take away from this conversation is the positive nature that Harbinder brings to this topic. And the fact that data ops can be achieved is practical. And although many organizations seem to be wrestling and struggling right now, there is definitely a path for success. 
As always, make sure you're subscribed to the Business of Data platform as well as following us on socials so that you're first in line for our thought-leading content and insights. Until next time, stay well and I'll see you real soon.